Well, this morning we continue our series of 11 messages on the life of Abraham, and we've titled them Adventures with Abraham. And uh, I'm going to do something a little different this morning. I'm actually going to preach this backwards. Uh, I don't typically do it this way, but it's going to be kind of a roundabout approach to lead us into the celebration of the Lord's Supper. But uh, if, you, if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 16, Genesis chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, and then I'm going to, uh, I'm going to preach back to Genesis chapter 15. And what I didn't have time last week to complete, that uh, I'll be honest, the Lord really spoke to me through a, kind of an unusual portion of Scripture as I was studying this week, and I want to kind of share a little bit of that with you this morning also. But uh, Genesis chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. Now, an interesting thing about those four words, Egyptian maidservant, named Hagar. Well, where did Abraham pick up this Egyptian maidservant? I believe it's in chapter 12 of Genesis, uh, beginning at verse 14. You remember Abraham and Sarah had conspired to tell Pharaoh that Sarah was Abraham's sister? Uh, They left out a very important detail that Sarah was actually his wife. And that's what's happening here. Genesis chapter 12, verse 14. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. That's Sarah. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants and camels. And I believe this is where Abraham picked up Hagar, the Egyptian maid servant. And she was part of the dowry that Pharaoh paid Abraham to take Sarah into his harem as his wife. And this was all... Uh, where, where this started, you know, when you study the life of Abraham, and we've talked about how he did a lot of things right. But it seems like whenever Abraham did something wrong, there were some real serious, long lasting consequences to what he had done. And it was like it set a whole cycle of events, a whole sequence of events off. And, and this is another one of those. You know, it probably seemed rather harmless just taking a Egyptian maidservant into your family as, as someone to work for you. It probably seemed, you know, harmless. But because of that, it just set a series of events off that, by the way, 4,000 years later, still have an effect on our world. That decision made 4,000 years ago still has an effect today. And we'll talk just a little bit about that. 
Verse 2 says, So she said to Abram, this is Sarah, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. This would be Hagar. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, I remember Dr. West saying this, and you probably remember him saying this a number of occasions, where he says, The Bible does not support everything the Bible reports. And this is a good time to remember that fact. Okay? It was a customary practice of Abraham's day that if a wife could not bear children for her husband, that husband could, uh, could have children through the maidservants. By the way, I want you to know, God never approved of that. Even though it was the custom of the day, and by the way, we've got some customs of our day that aren't just customary, they're legal. But I want you to know God doesn't approve of them. And two I can think of right away is abortion and now same-sex marriage. We can say, oh, it's just the custom of the day. It's just what's being done. No, I want you to understand, God doesn't approve of those things. Verse 3, well, at the end of verse 2, Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Let's keep the time, the time sequence here in mind. When God first appeared to Abraham and told him that he would have descendants, he would have a son that would be coming from his own body. Abraham was 75, Sarah was 65. As we get to chapter 16 of the book of Genesis, Abraham is now 85 and Sarah is 75. It's been 10 years that they've waited for that promise of that son to be born. Ten years. How many of you know it's hard to wait on God? And so Abraham and Sarah conspire to help God out as if he needed any help. And they start scheming. I like the way Warren Wiersbe says that he says, faith is living without scheming. I like that. Faith is living without scheming. Now, to be fair, I have studied Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis 16 I've read it over and over and over because there's a point that some commentators make, and that is Abraham had specifically been named as the father of the son who would be born. That son would come from Abraham's own body, uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 4. But nowhere leading up to chapter 16 is Sarah ever specifically named as being the mother that will bear that son to Abraham? 
Do you find that interesting? She's never named. She is named in chapter 17. Chapter 17, verse 16. It's very specific. Genesis 17, 16. I will bless her, that's Sarah, and will surely give you a son by her. In verse 19 of Genesis chapter 17, then God said, yes, but your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son. Now, you don't get any more specific than that. Your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son. But up to this point, it, God may have told him this, but it's not recorded. That's, that's my point. He may have told him it's not recorded in the Bible. And so we get to uh, verse the second part of verse 4. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarah said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my servant in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarah mistreated. I want you to catch that word. Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Mistreated Hagar. We get to verse 11. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child, this is Hagar, and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. What are the two words used to describe Hagar's life at this point? Mistreated and misery. Verse 12, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Something that the Lord spoke to me about that I think is very important for our day to understand. This chapter where you have mistreated Hagar, you have Hagar in misery. But as you study this story, the angel of the Lord keeps speaking to them. And I want you to know this morning that God has great care and God has great concern for abused people and unborn babies. The Lord spoke to me about that this week. I have great care and concern for abused people and for unborn babies. I care about them. And there may be somebody in this congregation that you're embarrassed by the fact that your past history was a history of physical abuse. You haven't told anybody. And you wonder if anybody would even care if you did tell them. Or how they would respond to that kind of news. I want you to know, God has great care and concern for abused people and for unborn babies. The word abuse is a very interesting word. It is basically two words, two English words that we have taken and we've put them together to shorten it. Abuse is 
abnormal use. That's what the word means. Abuse is abnormal use. That's what has happened to Hagar. She's been mistreated. She's, her life is a life of misery. She has been abused. Abnormal use. Verse 12. That verse, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. That's Ishmael, the father of the Arabs. Isaac, who will be born in a few chapters, is the father of the Jews. It's been 4,000 years since this covenant with Abraham was made. And the Arabs and the Israelis are still struggling today. This is the beginning of the Arab-Israeli conflict right here that has lasted for 4,000 years. I want you to think about that. When Nancy and I went to the Holy Land, we had the opportunity to go into West Bank uh, territory, which is kind of interesting when you go to, to Bethlehem. And then we went to Jordan. And uh, Jordan, big, big Arab nation. And uh, it's interesting the way the Arabs react to Americans. They don't like you. But they have to tolerate you. Because they need American tourist dollars in order to survive. They need our money. But when we, when we went into Jordan, there's a, a border. And you have to go through an inspection site. You have to leave your bus on the Israeli side and get on another bus on the Jordan side. You cannot take your... Uh, American or Israeli tour guide past that checkpoint. You have to get a Jordanian-born tour guide on the other side. They also gave us armed security on our bus because they weren't sure how the Arabs were going to treat us. We had security. And as I, as I was thinking back on that experience... I'm thinking, you know, the Arabs don't like American tourists because they know we support and sympathize with Israel, and they hate that. But all of this friction that you sense as you travel over there, you can trace it back to this. This is the beginning of the Israeli-Arab conflict that's lasted for 4,000 years. Do you understand the ramifications from Abraham having Ishmael through Hagar. He has caused 4,000 years of serious trouble because of what was a customary act of his day. Our world is still paying for Abraham's sin. 
Have you ever thought about it that way? We're still paying for it. Well, I want to skip back over to chapter 15, where we finished up last week. Chapter 15, beginning at verse 7. It says, He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know that I will gain possession of the promised land? That's what he's saying. How? What is the guarantee that I will get Canaan? What's the guarantee? What I'm about to explain to you this morning is bizarre. It appears to be very barbaric and it's very bloody. Let me share with you and explain to you these next few verses, which are really strange. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Now, let me explain what this looks like. He takes these animals. He takes the heifer, the goat, <clears throat> the ram. They cut these animals in half. They put half of the body over on one side. They put the other half of the body, the animal's body, on the other side. And they continue to put the bodies of the animals in, a, in parallel in, in the form of a path. So that there's a path in between the two sides of the animals. They don't cut the birds in half. I don't know how they fastened those birds down to the path where they didn't fly away. I don't know how they did that. But they did not cut the birds in half. The birds were laid in full. Animals on both sides of the path. Blood everywhere. This was called cutting a covenant this was called the blood this was called walking the blood path and you can imagine why it would be called that two parties would walk in between this is the way they cut a covenant this is the way they made a contract it was before they had notary publics and all this kind of stuff and they two parties would walk side by side down that blood path they would get to the end, they would turn around, and they would come back again. That act of walking the blood path and returning back down that blood path, the significance of the dead animals, I want you to get a hold of this because this is really strange. Here's what they were saying. May what happened to these animals happen to us if we do not keep our part of the deal. It was common. This is the way they cut a covenant. May what happens to these, happen to these animals happen to us if we don't keep our part of the deal. 
But things get really strange because you've got dead animals laying cut in half, laying on both sides of this path. And verse 11 says, Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. How would you like that job? You've got dead animal carcasses on this whole path, and your job is to keep the scavenger birds off of them. And that's what Abraham's doing. He's swatting them. You can just imagine fighting them, keeping them off those animal sacrifices. Verse 12 says, as the sun was setting. And by the way, when you study the word of God, pay special attention to those time phrases in God's word. They're going to tell you something every time. Those time words are so important. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. This would be Egypt. They will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. That's a round figure. It was about 430 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions. And they did. You, however, will go to your father in peace and be buried at a good old age. He was 175. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not reached its full measure. As the sun was setting, what is Abraham doing? They've got these dead animal carcasses to cut a covenant to walk the blood path and Abraham is asleep. Huh. Look at verse 17. When the sun had set, remember, as the sun was setting, Abraham fell asleep. But when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. Those two things, that, that bla- uh, smoking fire pot and the blazing torch were a symbol of the presence of God. Normally, two people would walk the blood path. But Abraham's asleep. He's not walking anywhere. So the fire pot and the, uh, the, uh, the blazing torch, those go down the blood path. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, Oh, wait a minute. There's something missing from a normal cutting of a covenant. It usually takes two people, but not here. Here it says, very specifically, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. It does not say Abram made a covenant with the Lord. What is the importance of this? Abraham, this covenant was not based on Abraham's performance. This covenant that God was making with Abraham was based strictly on grace. He's basically saying to Abraham, you go ahead and sleep, Abraham. This one's on me. This covenant that was established with Abraham was established entirely on God's faithfulness. This covenant of grace 
came from the generous heart of God himself. And it was, Abraham, you've got nothing in this one. I'm going to do this for you. Wow. You get to verses 18, 19, 20, and 21. There are 10 tribes in that passage, in in those verses. 10 neighboring tribes, not Jewish tribes, but neighboring tribes. Not one of those 10 tribes is in existence today. All 10 of those tribes passed off the face of the earth thousands of years ago. I want you to hear me this morning. But the descendants of Abraham, to whom the promise was made, they remain after 4,000 years. Praise God. Why do I say that? Because when God makes a promise, He keeps it. When God makes a promise, take it to the bank. I believe the continued existence of the Jewish race after 4,000 years is one of the greatest proofs of the truth of the Bible. There have been all kinds of attacks against the Jewish people. We think of Adolf Hitler, we think of the Holocaust, we think of all this. But boy, even today, there's major anti-Semitism today. These ten tribes, folks, are gone. They're a footnote footnote in history. But the descendants of Abraham, after 4,000 years, remain. Praise God. Praise God. This covenant that God made with Abraham, and man, I wish I had more time. My goodness, this is some good stuff. Man. This covenant that God made with Abraham, the Jewish people were very familiar with this covenant. Exodus chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 says, God heard their groaning. This was after the 430 years of slavery in Egypt of his people. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham. And that doesn't mean that he forgot. Like you and I forget things. Where did I put my keys? Yeah, where did I put those keys? It doesn't mean uh, a forgetfulness, a failure to remember. That's not what it's talking about. When it talks about God remembering things, and there's 73 times in the Bible where it talks about God remembering something. 73 times. When it talks about God remembering something, it means that God stayed true to his promise and he acted on it. That's what it means when God remembers something. He stays true to his promise and he acts on it. He remembered his covenant with Abraham. I got to move ahead real quick here. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 54. This is Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is her song. She says in Luke chapter 1, verse 54, this is 2,000 years after the covenant was made to Abraham. 2,000 years after. He has filled the hungry with good things. 
but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. There is the covenant that was made to Abraham. Mary is very aware of that covenant. Zechariah is the father of John the Baptist. And Zechariah says in chapter 1, verse, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 72, Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, says, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. 2,000 years after the making of that covenant, Mary and Zechariah are still talking about that covenant that God made with Abraham. We're going to, I guess Pastor Bob's going to come and lead us in the uh, Apostles' Creed. And then I'm going to tie in another covenant during the communion time this morning. You say, what does all that have to do with me, Pastor Dave? I... We're going to show you in just just a moment.